Hey appreciators and why it's great viewers, welcome to the channel. We have a great discussion for you today. Uh, and I just want to say right off the top, if you have never read or been exposed to the Dark Tower series, uh, this episode is still for you because we are going to start out with why you should read the book. So I just want to make that very clear up top. Don't dip out. We will let you know when we get to any spoilers. But before we get there, uh, I want to mention who is joining me today. I am joined by my brother, Dan. Welcome back to the podcast and YouTube channel. Thanks, man. It's great to be back. Uh, I'm excited to talk Dark Tower today with you. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to be back since last time we talked about, you know, our television picks for 2022. And uh, let's do this thing. Yeah. So we are talking about Stephen King's magnum opus, the stories that connect all the other stories, the sun, the tower that everything revolves around. And it's it's a lot. But I'm excited for this discussion. Yeah. Yeah, let's let's jump in by, like you said, discussing why people should check out the Dark Tower series if they never have before. And again, it's going to be no spoilers during this this time. And so I just thought we could each take a turn making our case, mm -hmm. um, whether you're a Stephen King fan or even not a Stephen King fan, just a fan of genre fiction in general and any uh, medium, because I think that Stephen King um, is one of the most influential authors, whether you've read any of his books or not. And so I think The Dark Tower specifically is a great place to start if you haven't read any King, especially if you are a fan of fantasy, sci-fi, horror, anything like that. Um, yeah. And so, Andrew, do you want to start us off or would you like me to start us off? Yeah, I can start off because I can mention how you pitched this to me when I was mm. a wee little eighth grader. Um, I still remember this perfectly because, Dan, you're you're five years older than me. And so I have the experience of being that younger brother who gets exposed to movies and stories and media from the cool older brother. You know, it's like, well, check out this cool thing, you know. Uh, and as someone who was late to horror, as I was, I was very afraid of horror as a child. Uh, but I had an older brother who loved horror, was trying to push me. Um, you wanted me to read Stephen King. But at that time, I was still a little hesitant about reading like straight up horror books. So I don't even remember how far you were into the series. I don't think you'd finished it yet, but maybe you had. I think but... I was I had read three, one, two yeah. and three. But I remember this. We were on a train going to Chicago. This was 2008. And you were pitching me the Dark Tower because you were like, Andrew, it's not really that scary. And I, I think I think I can almost verbatim repeat how you pitched it to me. OK, so let's see if this works for anyone out there. You even got out a bookmark and you were drawing on the bookmark to explain the world. You said it's about a cowboy gunslinger like Clint Eastwood who, and I don't, I don't think you fully understood the world yet, but I, I remember you saying this, he exists in the future of our world, but everything has moved on. 
And I remember you used that exact phrase. Everything had moved on. I was like, moved on. Wow. You're like, he's a gunslinger that exists in like our world, but the world is so far into the future and moved on that like all the cities are different and ravaged and only some technology still exists. And he's chasing this guy called the man in black and they're trying to reach the dark tower. And I was like, what's the, what's the dark? What, what are you talking about? And you were like, the dark tower is the center of the multiverse and it holds every single different world and every world connects to the dark tower. And I was just like, what? Like, and he's trying to get to the top of it to save it. And that's mostly what I remember. But, uh, if that is still too vague enough for anyone listening, um, it is genre wise, a perfect mix of the Clint Eastwood spaghetti Westerns with um, kind of Isaac Asimov sci-fi and Tolkien fantasy. And maybe not as much fantasy as the other two, but there's just enough little kind of the Crimson King is kind of like Sauron and, the eyes watching everybody, but it's a perfect mix of that. And like I said, with the dark tower holding the multiverse, all of Stephen King's stories are connected somehow. And even if they're not connected directly, they're connected indirectly through the dark tower, which is the center literally of all of Stephen King's stories. And that's my kind of two minute pitch if dan you want to add on to that that's uh really really great to hear that memory because i don't i vaguely remember it but i don't really and if it was 2008 i was mistaken i had read the whole series at that point but i recently reread it and that Mm. that's kind of the impetus for us having this conversation is that we both recently reread all the books and Having reread them just now, I'm realizing how like fast I sped through the series. Um, And I wasn't the best. I'm learning about myself in the past. In high school, I wasn't the best reading reader for comprehension, especially if I was going too fast. And I had missed so many things. But anyway, my pitch will just fill in a few blanks that Andrew said, because I think, Andrew, you did a really good job of, of giving the finer points. Um, I'll start with this, and that is just a brief non-spoiler picture of the shape of what the books look like. And Mm -hmm. so there are eight books to the series, and seven of those are the core series. And the eighth one, excuse me, maybe you can cut that out. We don't cut anything here. And the eighth one was actually written years later as like supposed to be shelved in the middle of the story. It's technically book four and a half. Although most readers of The Dark Tower, myself included, would tell you to read it as the eighth book, read it after. And the reason I do that is because it creates this shape to the eight novels where you have book one kind of as a standalone in a sense, because the style of it is sort of unique to the rest. The core of the story really starts in book two. And then in book four, which if there's eight books, which would be the middle, 
you have another break from the main story. And then book eight becomes a cool bookend. So what you would get is like the first book, which has its own unique fable-esque quality to it that deals with what I would consider before the story. It's almost like the whole book is like an like a prologue to the core. Mm -hmm. Then you have, and it also has some like flashback elements. Then you have the middle book, book four, which is largely flashback. And then you have book eight, which is also largely flashback and fable-esque. And what it creates is this awesome um, arc where you get to see Roland right from the beginning um, in a situation and hear a little bit about his past. And it's pretty short in comparison to the others. Then you get with book two, the start of the story proper, a nice little reprieve in book four where you go back and then a nice little bookend after everything that mm -hmm. gives you another little glimpse into Roland's past. And having said that, uh, just to fill in you know, the gap for anyone who's unfamiliar, my pitch would largely start with just the fact that the Dark Tower books kind of serve as the hub of a Stephen King cinematic universe, so to speak. Because as you read the novels, you get the sense that, oh, every Stephen King book that he's ever written fits along the tower somewhere in mm -hmm. some way. And not only that, having reread it now, I, I understand that every work of fiction that's ever been written could fit somewhere along the tower. And so it kind of serves as a really interesting and fun story that could be considered in one's own headcanon as like the heb, not the heb, the hub. H-E-B. Of... Yeah, <laughs> we got exactly. a flashback to living in exactly. Texas there. I yeah. Uh, that could serve as like a hub of all storytelling. And uh, so I, I really enjoy that as someone who is a fan of science fiction and fantasy. Um, this idea that the, the plot of these novels could have stakes that are so grand that they actually encompass not only all of our world, but every fictional universe that's ever been created. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's fun so I'm going to back up. Stephen King in almost all of his books has references to other works. He likes to elude in a literary way to classics. And he does that in the Dark Tower to like the nth degree. And it is mm -hmm. so fun and creative to be following this band of characters he's created for the Dark Tower and then to see glimpses of these other worlds that other authors have created. Um, can I, can I yeah. chime in real quick? Yeah, go ahead. I, I think the cool thing about that is I, I think nowadays there is a, there's a way to do that. That's very lazy and um, 
almost like oh you know kind of picture like a like a film exec like oh if we tie this in and make references to the wizard of oz blah blah, blah people are going to be happy you know let's make references to pop culture and whatnot and what stephen king does in this series is there's so many references to pop culture and and when you read it and you realize these come out like the last three books come out in early 2000s and you realize some of the references he makes like directly and how they play into the novel like harry potter it's going to feel very jarring but i think in the dark tower series stephen king is almost doing this from the role of a literary critic and he doesn't just pull things from like not to get too spoiler heavy but from like harry potter the wizard of oz and how he ties them in directly he's not doing that as a way to just be like oh look at this reference like you guys are gonna eat this up it's it's a way to comment how from a meta level and from a 30,000 foot view, all these stories are the same story. Exactly. And what I really liked about the ending, like the last three books of this series is you see kind of Stephen King play literary critic where there's a lot of meta references to stories in general and what stories, what the role of stories are in people's lives and how similar they all are. And I think that's really cool because if anyone's read on writing, you know, Stephen King isn't just an author. He's someone who really understands uh, literature and its role in people's lives. And I I think he ingrained that in these stories in a really fun way without kind of being cheesy, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But yeah. Yeah. No, that, those are all perfect and things I wanted to touch on as well. I, sometimes uh, talking to you feels like we're reading each other's mind. <laughs> yeah, like we're the breakers. We, we're the breakers. Uh, exactly. Yeah. I can um, maybe be like, uh, to anyone who's read the series, I can be like Ted Brodigan and, and uh, pull it out of you a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, because the final thing I wanted to touch on is that these stories, again, if this is a pitch, right? These stories cover almost every major genre. At least you can see pieces of each one, if not entire books dedicated largely to different genres between fantasy, hardcore fantasy, like like we said, Western. But there's also um, science fiction. There is horror. Um, There's also, though, I would say like very. What's the word? Um genuine drama and romance and um like just straight up classic literature in there and all of that weaves together so uh it's it just goes they go in and out of each other so fluidly that it creates it like a world that's a tapestry and a mosaic of all these genres that comes across like not criticism in the sense of he's critiquing it but Mm -hmm. criticism in the sense of like he is embracing commenting on and also just showing how much he loves these genres and understands them and tells at the heart of it a very human grounded story and we'll get to this at the end a little bit about what the story is about but i think it's about largely um I was going to say addiction, but I think it's deeper than that. I think it's really just about the brokenness 
and aloneness of being a human mm-hmm. and what uh we all have like a hole inside of us it's like a desire and we and we cling to things to try to fill it and roland the main character of the story has this desire to get to the tower and that's the thing that's driving him it's his addiction but it's also his passion it's the thing that he believes is going to fill him which is something we all can relate to and uh Yet, it's about what happens when, through relationship with other people, we can find healing, we can find change, we can transform who we were into who we are, find the better aspects of ourselves, and learn to always do or strive to always do the harder but more honorable thing. Mm -hmm. And I think all of that creates this story that's like very emotionally impacting when you strip away all of the you know flash and glam of all these genre elements it's just about these you know four to five people who become you know at times enemies then like acquaintances uh friends and then ultimately family or maybe even whatever's beyond family, if there is anything. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful human thing to witness. Um, yeah. So I that's think, that's my pitch. Yeah, I think what I would add to that uh, is I think Stephen King's greatest strength has always been his character work. Um, and all the characters in these stories are, are really well fleshed out and really engaging, but just... Roland specifically, I, I think by the time you get to the end of the seventh book and you see his journey complete, I personally think it's Stephen King's best character journey. Um, because Absolutely. there's a lot of, you can tell, I mean, literally there's a lot of Stephen King in these books, <laughs> but no spoilers. Yeah, no spoilers, but you know, literally, uh, but through Roland specifically, by the time you get to the end, you can tell that Roland's struggle in a way has been Stephen King's struggle in his life that he's been very open about. And I, I think the way Roland comes to see his life at the end is one of the most tragic and beautifully rendered like character arcs that Stephen King has ever made. And that's saying a lot because... I mean, he's created some great characters. Um, And so if you are a Stephen King fan, but you've never tackled these books yet, I would say that the character work that that you love in all of his other books is present in this amongst all the genre stuff you may be hesitant about and all that stuff in the multiverse. Just the character of Roland specifically is very well fleshed out. Um, and I've talked about it on the Why It's Great channel before, but I've always felt that the best characters that are written are ones that have a paradox in them. You know, think about Saul Goodman, you know, like this really likable underdog character who also has this Machiavellian cheater like instincts that clash with each other. Yeah, Roland, there's this paradox to Roland where he is the Clint Eastwood archetyped western hero who doesn't let anyone in doesn't let anyone close has these instincts to push people away but at the same time when you get past all that 
there is a tenderness. There is this open bleeding heart and you see why he's guarded and you see those two instincts fighting within each other. And to see Roland go back and forth between the hard nosed, I'm going to do anything it takes to get my goal with the, the tenderness side that really does value friendship that can be a good friend that can protect people. And to see that go back and forth throughout the series is really engaging and really true to human nature. Yeah. And that's actually, it touches on why I think the went through the keyhole should be read after because Mm. of how it actually impacts Roland's arc, because he does something at the end of that book that, um, kind of like if you read it in line as like you finish wizard and glass number four and then you read Mm -hmm. that one and then you keep going it wouldn't really like change that much but i think it it works better after because it reveals something about roland's emotional state that is more satisfying to come after if that makes sense from the yeah, from well, the arc standpoint. I'm a big believer and I don't care what you're talking about Star Wars whatever, like you always watch or read everything in published order because you can never eliminate the fact that stories made after other stories whether they're canonically supposed to be before, you can never eliminate the fact that what was published after was written with everything before it in mind. You cannot get rid of that. And like whether it's Star Wars and whatever, like if it came out after, forget about canon. If it came out after, it has in mind everything before it. And so it's paying off things that you have to know about, you know, published after wise or released after wise. So I'm, I'm a big believer in that. And while the events are technically chronologically Right. right. If you put it four and a half, the emotional journey at exactly. I think actually fits after. Um, well, this re- this reminds me of something before we kind of head off into spoiler discussion of the book while we still have the the non Dark Tower readers here. Uh, there's a lot of debate, like especially on the King cast, which shout out to that podcast. Uh, love that. Love that show. Um, they're always arguing about if you should read the Dark Tower two drawing of the three first or read the the first book the gunslinger uh i I didn't know if you wanted to talk about that uh because personally i'm a believer that you just read it in order and i know the first book is a little um it's a little obdurate it's a little stubborn of a read uh but i i think it always pays off to read everything in order and i didn't know if you had thoughts on that yeah i mean my thought always on this is like, obviously do whatever you want. Like, uh, you know, no one's gonna... You heard it here you know, first. Dan Drake says, do whatever you want. And like, yeah. just do anything. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to this, nobody's gonna stop you. I actually, you know, would tell people with Buffy the Vampire Slayer to start with season two of that yeah. as well. Um and so I'm not opposed to people doing that. Although what I would say is like, if you wanted to, this is going to be controversial. 
you could also just read book two, three, the first part of four, the last part of four, five, six, and seven, and skip one, skip the bulk of four, and skip the win through the keyhole, and you would get the like larger arcs of the story. But what I would say is, if you did that, well, first of all, why would you do that? Well, if you're going to skip one, you might as well skip all of the flashback stuff. Yeah. Um, is basically what that amounts to. And you would get the the larger plot of the books and it would be fine. You would know what happens. But just know if you're going to do that, you're going to miss like all of the stuff below the surface on the iceberg, which as we know is the bulk of the iceberg. You're going to know what happens on the surface, but it's the first book, the middle of four, and I would even argue the end of eight um, that really serves as a, the, the emotional foundation that yeah. helps you understand who this character is at his core, not just as a cool cowboy that you follow on a journey, but as a character that can become as real as any other fictional character um, to just understand his humanness, his brokenness. So yeah. Can you do it? Sure. Would you know what happens? Yeah. It would be, you'd check it off, but you wouldn't really feel the story if you skipped one, four and eight. Yeah. Yeah. My, my advice would be having listened to like the guys on the King cast have different opinions. I can't remember I can't remember off the top of my head who recommends <clears throat> skipping the first one or not. But uh, my advice is if you read the first book and the first book is slower paced, it's one of the first books that like Stephen King ever worked on. Like it's not his first published book, but it's one of the first stories he actually started writing and he kept the manuscript aside for a long time. So it's really raw and the writing style is very different from what his writing style becomes it's like you can tell he's almost um trying to show off with his like prose like in the first paragraph he talks about how like the desert is like the apotheosis of all deserts and you're just like apotheosis who uses that word um but uh my advice would be look if you find the first book slow just skim like i don't understand why you would skip the whole thing because if you're reading the first book and you find a chapter slow, everyone knows how to skim. Just skim, press fast forward on the audiobook. Yeah. But you have to read the ending of book one. I am very adamant about this. You have to read about Roland's sacrifice at the very end of the book. And I won't say what kind of sacrifice that yeah, is. That's true. But it's that is important. huge for his character. And that moment looms over the entire series. And especially book two. I don't understand how you could go straight to book two. <clears throat> without feeling because i know it mentions it it summarizes what happens yeah it has it has the arguments at the beginning right it's you get a hint but like you have to really feel that choice roland makes and that informs every interaction he has with the new characters in book two because in the back of your mind as a reader you're going he could do that to them you know and it, it makes you kind of scared of roland in the same way that eddie and Susie or odetta are of Roland in book two, because you feel what he did in book one. Yep. So I, I think if you find book one slow, that's fine. There's no shame in skimming. There's no shame in like fast forwarding a couple, couple chapters, but like make it to the end and read the end. And 
the very last chapter of book one is amazing. So it's, that's, it's pretty that's great. what I would say. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that I have much more to offer in terms of non-spoiler. So yeah. Okay. Well, let's not waste any more time. So if you've never read the series, uh, I hate to say it, uh, this is not good podcasting, but you can leave the podcast now. You can exit out of the video and uh, just go go read the books real quick and then come right back. Just it'll be a breeze. They're not big books at all. Nope. No, they're not. Uh, all right. So uh, I'm going to put a big spoiler thing right here. I'm going to put in the chapter description spoilers. So here we go. Dan, let's talk about the books in general and maybe even do a little ranking of our favorites. So like we said at the beginning, this was both of our second time through the series. So I'll just start with this. Having it been your second turn around the wheel, what stood out to you the most about this series or any book in particular? Hmm. That's a good question. I think that uh, what stood out to the most to me, well, honestly, is just how much I missed the first time around. Mm. Specifically, when it comes to some of the like non-main events of the story, like I think I got all of the major, you know events that happen all the plot things points. but like yeah the plot points but there's just so many little gems in between of of smaller moments that specifically the ones that contain prophecy or there's so much foreshadowing that i missed um and just little character moments that just kind of keep revealing who these people are. And so I, I felt more connected to the characters this time because I wasn't rushing through it. Um, the other thing I did, which I'll mention here in this section, is um, I actually read more than eight books and consider it part of my journey. Right. I read uh, one, two, three, four, and then I took a break. And I read Salem's Lot um, because obviously Donald Callahan shows up in in book five. And then uh, after book five, I took another break and I read Hearts in Atlantis and Insomnia before six and seven. And I'm really glad I did that because what also stood out to me and I'll also mention, I'm doing a read-through of all the Stephen King books I've never read this year. So, like, everything I'm reading this year is Stephen King. Um, And so another thing that stood out to me is just how Stephen much... Stephen King's publishers really appreciate that, yes, by the way. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, it's just how much... I mean, I knew this, but to the extent how much The Dark Tower plays into everything else... Like I remember show I took a picture of Salem's lot, a page in there. And I was like, Oh yeah. The woman in Salem's lots name is Susan. Mm -hmm. Just like Susan Delgado. And like some of the setup between Ben Mears and Susan is very similar to the flashback in, in wizard and glass. And then Donald Callahan 
pops into the story and then they reference Salem's lot in the book. Um, and then having read insomnia, you get the crimson King and you get the little bald doctors. Um, and then in what is it? Book six or the beginning of seven, the first half of seven, I think they reference insomnia. Yeah. And then oh, you it, get... it might be, yeah, like it's definitely like in the first third or towards the middle of seven, they reference yeah. insomnia. And then you get um, Patrick Danville. And so, and then Hearts in Atlantis has Ted Brodigan. And so it was having expanded then what I read in the order I did was mm -hmm. really, really, really um, fruitful. And it just made the experience so cool. And uh, yeah, I, I I don't have much more to say other than the, the fact that just like all the big moments that I loved hit just as hard the second time. Mm -hmm. uh, the second book is probably still my favorite, although um, three gives it a run for its money also, and so does yeah. four. Like that stretch of two, three, four is like, I don't know. That's probably the best. Yeah. And then um, I, I will say this too. When I first read it as a high schooler, when the action breaks in Wizarding Glass and goes to the flashback, I was so angry. I think I like put the book down. I remember you telling me that. Yeah. Didn't go back to it for like six months because I was like, this is not what I want to read. Uh, you really you know, showed him, Dan. I know. I was like, I don't know, I was 16 maybe. And I was like, what is this? Some sort of romance novel? <laughs> what is this? Love? Ew, Steven. Get out of here. Yeah. So, uh, but reading it now, like that's one of my favorite sections is the flashback in, in four. It's like the prose is even different. It's, you know, you mentioned oh, yeah. how book one is different. Cause he was just learning. I feel like four is different because he's a master by then. Yeah. And he was like intentionally, you know, doing a Cormac McCarthy impression or something like, well, I guess. Is that before Cormac McCarthy? Even? Oh no, no. Oh okay. I, yeah. I think it's it's <clears throat> it's around his his earlier books, yeah. Because I think Cormac McCarthy started early eighties. Okay. Um, yeah. uh, mid. I don't know. I'm not a McCarthy expert. But yeah, yeah. similar. Uh, similarly, for me, I, I think the main things that stood out were one. I actually think reading it a second time is a better experience mm. because you knowing what happens to the cotet and knowing what Roland ultimately does at the end makes you really cherish the moments with Eddie, Susanna, Jake yes. all together yes. so much more. And you're paying more attention to them as a group. Whereas right. in the, when you read it for the first time, you're kind of, you're kind of in Roland's shoes where you want to see what's at the tower. This tower is so mysterious to you. You want to see him save the universe. The second time around, I found myself in Eddie and Susanna and Jake's shoes mm -hmm. going, Roland, you idiot. Don't leave them. Don't leave them. And I actually found that to be more enjoyable. And it makes the tragedy hit so much harder because the might have been with them feels more real. Yeah. Um 
Yeah. And so just knowing the ending actually makes the books leading up to it richer. Um, And then the other thing that stood out to me was it's really cool as a big Stephen King fan, how you can see him testing ideas in this Mm -hmm. series. And I think we texted about this briefly, but you can see the kernels of 112263 in this series. Yep. And you can see how much he wanted to tell that story decades earlier than he actually did. Yep. Because there's about 200 references to what if we went through one of these doors to November 63 and saved JFK? What would happen? And I'm just like, wait, he wrote a book all about that. And he keeps mentioning it. And um, JFK is listed as, you know, the one of the last gunslingers uh, in his um, kind of, you know, after he dies. Uh, And I was just like, wow, that's so interesting. You can see him teasing ideas. And then even with fairy tale, having read fairy tale recently, I'm like, oh, some of the things he teased in the dark tower, he actually ended up using in fairy tale, even though they're not like directly related, but there's some like when he gets to the more like fantasy medieval stuff in the dark tower, he like sprinkles it there, but then in fairy tale, he really pays it off and he goes deep. But, and even some of the, like the way the world works in the dark tower is similar to fairy tale where there's references to Eddie and Susanna and Jake actually aren't speaking the same language as Roland and people in Midworld, but they both understand each other. Exactly. And that happens in fairy tale where uh, Charlie goes into that world and he knows he's not speaking their language, but he understands them. Yep. I I remember thinking that exact thing, especially when the Cotted is with Aunt Talitha. Oh, yeah. Um, I was reading that. I was like, this sounds just like the community in, in fairy tale. Yeah. Well, like, and even, even like the muties yeah. in the Dark Tower universe are very similar to the gray people in fairy right. tale. Right. So just as like a King fan, I think it's really cool to see, like, it's not even recycled ideas because when you read the Dark Tower, it's before. So you're like seeing the potential for ideas he uses later. Um, And it's really interesting to like see a guy like Steven, who's very open about not plotting not planning ahead, letting things come to him as they do. And to kind of see that happen, we're like, oh, he must have got the idea here, realized it didn't fully fit. Or later, he was like, oh, I want to do more of that. And it's just really cool to see that play out. Um, So that was really rewarding. Absolutely. Um, But I think you mentioned it earlier about two being your favorite. Um. In terms of which books you liked more than others, what changed the second time around? Did a book you didn't like become more likable or vice versa? Yeah, certainly. I, I mentioned four. I didn't like the the flashback. And now I'd put that in in the top, certainly mm-hmm. the top four, if not even higher. Um, it'd be hard for me to do a ranking. Um, I would. I actually also liked Song of Susanna more than last time. It's it's definitely its own jam, um, yeah. But I kind of liked it. It like parts of it really struck me similarly to the end of book one, where he goes into this kind of like when you know when he zooms forward like a hundred years or ten years, and he's in that yeah. like meeting with the man in black. But it's very cosmic, and the, you know 
he's mm-hmm. is almost like some talking with some entity and it's saying like just explaining how much vaster the universe is than he can even imagine it actually gives me like book of job vibes mm. you know yeah. like uh when he's describing like the atoms in a in a rose and all this stuff um so i don't know i kind of liked that I, it's 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 hard for me i also a lot of things were reinforced like before i reread i really liked two and three and i really liked five and having read through again it just reinforced that I really like two and three. I like four more this time. And then I really like five. There's something about the adventure, the, the, the caliber and Sturgis mm-hmm. of it all. And the wolves, that novel just like, uh, I don't know. I just really like it. It's kind of like, like, it's his riff adventure. on the magnificent seven. Kind yeah. Of thing. yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like a nice, it's like when you watch the X-Files or Buffy or something and they have like one standalone episode that's not really connected to the mythology or kind of is, but like the main thrust is this kind of standalone adventure. Whenever one of those shows had like a particularly good standalone, that's kind of how I view book five. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I, I don't know if I could rank. I, I might do like two, three, four, five, actually. Two, three, four, uh, five. Right. Yeah. Um, as my top five or top four. Where, so would, would you, you Yeah, so for me, I think my first time through, I think my answer was always number two. Drawing of the three was my favorite. The second time around, I still love two. But once I read three again, I was like, wait. I think I like three more than two. And here's why it was weird reading two, knowing who Eddie and Odetta become and like Mm. wanting them to be those versions and like almost reading two and going, I don't recognize these people. It was really weird. Like, like my last memory of them being the last time I read book seven and seeing them fully formed and like having their character arcs and reading two, and reading two and being like, oh yeah, Eddie's a junkie. Odetta is still schizophrenic and isn't Susanna yet. And um, and even like almost structurally, there was a, a a middle section in two where Roland and Eddie are walking through the desert and Eddie's trying to keep Roland alive. That was very repetitive. Yeah. And like it went on and on where like they're just trudging through the 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 beach. And they're trying to find the next door and Roland's taking Aston and uh, he's almost dying. And Eddie's trying to like figure out a way to betray him. And they just keep walking the beach and walking the beach. I remember being like being from a critical perspective, being like, I don't remember this bringing down the book, but now it kind of is bringing down the book for me. Um, But then when I read three, I was eating it up because you see that's the book where like the cotet is the cotet for like a majority of the book. And I, I realized that I love seeing them all together. Mm. Um, and so like once they bring Jake into the world and they have their adventure in Lud, um, it's just really rewarding to see them work together as a group. And also book three, I think has the most fantasy elements along with um, four. And I actually found myself really eating that up. 
and liking the world building because once you get uh, to four there's world building in terms of Roland's past but like in terms of like the current mid world that kind of pauses mm-hmm. and I just loved how imaginative mid world was in, in uh, Wastelands with Blaine and um, with uh, the the river people is that who they, the river people who with Talia who's that mm-hmm. um, is that what they're called Aunt, I can't Talitha. remember yeah Aunt, Aunt, Aunt Talitha like that community and uh the forest with with uh uh tardic mm-hmm. um i don't know it was just so it was so rich uh wastelands was and imaginative and i just found myself really liking that whereas in the later part of the series there are so many trips to new york that i found myself and that i think that's why i i still don't like song of susanna is i loved midworld so much that I got to a point in Song of Susanna where I was like, get out of New York. I want mm. you to leave New York. I understand why it's important in the series, but get me back to Midworld. And the that's why the last half of Seven is some of my favorite in the series because you get that exploration of Endworld. And I just love how imaginative the setting is. And the more and more trips to New York, the more I'm like, I don't want to be in our world. Like I, yeah. like I live in this world. I want to be in in midworld and in world so that's what stood out to me this time around no yeah that that makes total sense i i I mean there's a good that's a good argument for three you might have convinced me to put it ahead um but two i i feel like two is like one of the most action-packed ones yeah along with five especially like the end battle in five which is why those ones uh you know stick out to me but I, my favorite yeah. aspect of three, which you didn't mention, is is the whole thing with Jake and the like, rem- the, the two split. different split yeah. memories. And I really enjoyed this second time around, like his his paper he wrote for English class that was like nonsense mm. that seemed like yeah. nonsense to him. But just how much foreshadowing there even is in that and in other little parts. Um, for when he he comes through like i i remember reading at even the first time and being like this is really 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 cool um yeah so yeah. so i think for me i i think i could rank them and i would go uh four wizard and glass is still my favorite i just think it's the best written now from a like writing perspective structurally it's one of the weirdest things anyone could ever do in a book series which is like uh finish up the ending of book three and then be like hey let's take a pause and let's do a 500 page exodus into roland's past but i think as a standalone story roland's past and mayhus or magus do they pronounce the h i think the j's and h there yeah magus um his his journey in Magus with Susan is so heartbreaking and tragic. And you could really just pull that out of the dark tower series and it would stand alone as a paperback Western. And it would be one of the best paperback Westerns I've ever read. Um, So I just think that I don't think anything tops that I'd go four, then I'd go three wastelands then i'd go seven or two i just i don't know seven's a weird beast because like a million things happen in seven seven's too a little too big 
I th- I think seven feels like three different books. It does jammed into one. So I would go I would go four three two. Then seven because I love the ending. One. The uh, seven five one six. Yeah. So I'd go four three two. Seven, five, one, six. Yeah. Yeah. That's a respectable order. Um, I might do three, two, four, five, uh, seven, one, six. Yeah. Anyone listening to your conversation right now without hearing my end is probably so confused why you're just listing random numbers. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Like uh, five, four, three, seven, eight, nine. Um, um one other thing I wanted to mention to take us in a slightly different direction is just also how much I love that the series is story within a story. Yes. Like that that motif is so prominent and important. The idea that, I mean, anyone who's watched my video essay on the Nerd Rider knows that I love meta things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the yeah. idea that like, Stephen King is telling us a story about a character who's going on a journey who often stops to tell other people a story. And often the people in that story start telling stories. And there's just all these layers of stories within stories within stories within stories that serves as a great way to, like we said in the beginning, comment on storytelling itself, um, especially the different ways each character and the author tells the stories. Um, but it's all, it also just highlights like how important stories are to humanity and when the crux of the whole story is like, we got to get to this tower, which is the center of the universe. It kind of makes you feel like, oh, even all of life is really a story. Like everything, it, mm-hmm. it made the, 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 the connection between stories and life really thin it's yeah. easy when you're living life to be like, oh, that's a fiction book and this is life and that's not real and this is real or whatever. And so you almost dismiss books or stories. But the way this story brings those things together by making the stakes of the story like, no, these things are real in a sense. There's a realness to them so much so that they could actually destroy the fabric of everything. If yep. something in the story goes wrong, it makes you be like, oh, like stories are not factually real, maybe, but they have real, uh, you know, influence on us as people and therefore on the world. And um, I, I love the meta-ness of that, but I also just love what it says about, you know, what kind of life are you leading? You know, um, is your story going the way you wanted it to go? Are you always doing the harder but right thing like Roland? Mm-hmm. Or also like Roland, do you sometimes drop Jake or not pick up the Horn of Eld or, you know, not protect Susan? All these, you know, what he would consider the major mistakes of his of his life. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, well, I, like, I love that aspect to it. Yeah. And I love uh, when he does. Yeah. Like you said, when he gets to the tower, the tower shows Roland his life story. Exactly. And it just, it really reaffirms like, you know, whatever expectations you had about the tower, it's not what you think it is. It's the towers always pointing you back to your own life. 
and the things you did um, because your life is a story. And like, do you want your life to be a story where do you want your life to be a tragedy or do you want it to end with, you know, love and the way Susanna's story ends with seeing Jake and uh, Eddie again? Or do you want it to be a tragedy where you you picked destiny above all else? But what destiny is going to do is it's going to point you right back around and be like, you missed it. Yeah. And maybe to hint at, you know, the broader themes like, yeah, the Dark Tower is definitely a story about uh, and he even mentions it right before he get. Remember how like when you read seven, he kind of stops and he goes, hey, if if you're one of those people who really values the journey over the destination, stop now. And he's almost telling you, you need to value the journey over the destination. Exactly. Exactly. And then so you, you keep reading to realize, oh. Roland missed the journey. Uh, but uh, yeah, but the story within a story part, uh, that really, I, I told you when I was rereading, I remember picking up on it as a high schooler, like, oh, it's meta. But just how meta it is, the second time really stood out to me because the way Midworld works and the way time works, you know, like there's always these references to, oh, time's moving differently than it used to, or things are moving faster here than they are in the Keystone world. And when I was reading, I was like, oh, maybe maybe Stephen King's using some, uh, you know, quantum mechanics where he's talking about relativity and how time is relative based on like speed and gravity and all this stuff. It's like, well, that's interesting. Then I went, wait, no, that's not what King is saying. Because when you get to book four and Roland tells his, his story about, magus and susan anytime there's breaks where it comes back to them telling the story it always comments on like how jake is like wait is it still the same night are we in a different day like wow this story like i, I lost track of time the reason time moves weird in the dark tower is because it's a story and i think stephen king is commenting how when you're raptured by a story your sense of time is gone right and because because of that, because everything's a story within a story, time moves different in Roland's world because I think King is trying to tell you, like, when you're enraptured by someone's past or someone's story or a telling of a tale, time is out the window. It doesn't matter. And I thought that was a really cool touch to be like, time's going to be wonky in this because when you're reading it, time's going to be wonky. You're going to sit down and read the book at... 2 p.m. and then you're gonna look up and be like wait it's it's 5 p.m. already like what like where did where did that go right so i thought that was cool what also is cool about that is um really like the ending and again like we're heavily into the spoiler territory so i don't feel bad saying you know roland is in a loop because yeah. death for others but never for you gunslinger never for yep. you uh what i like about that idea that roland never dies because he's kind of stuck reliving it is so his character is personifying the whole idea that all these characters exist in books that you can just read over and over again. Every time mm -hmm. you reread a favorite novel, you're forcing those characters in a to sense to go through it again, to go through mm -hmm. it again. Right. And you're forcing yourself to go through it again. And there's something about the fact that we as humans have memories and we all often relive these things traumas and joys over and over again but also we reread these novels that we love the, we rewatch movies and <clears throat> so i think king as again it's another way of him to say like this is all a story and 
this character is just literally doing what we all do all the time is being stuck in these cycles, reliving these memories, which brings me to like something I was thinking when I was done, because I actually heard on the King cast, uh, they were talking to this guy who's a collector and he was saying that he's pretty sure King has a novel about the Horn of Eld that he's not going to publish until he passes away. What? Yeah. And when I heard that, it got my gears spinning. I was like, what? And uh, my thought was that whatever that novel structure, I think what has to, what it has to be about is what happens to Roland this time around. Cause at the end, mm-hmm. you know, he goes back and this time he has the horn of Eld and you feel like this is going to be the last one. And my thought was before he gets to the tower, he's not going to do the loop again. And the only way, like my thought is selfishly, what I would love to see is that Roland goes with Susanna through yeah. the door. Yeah. And then the whole quartet is together in a version of the real world where Eddie and Jake are brothers and him and Susanna have this weird thing where like, I feel like we love each other, but we don't know each other yet, but we're destined. And then mm-hmm. Roland is there. And actually by making that choice, that's what saves the tower. The tower doesn't need him to go up there and you know do it all again. What he realizes maybe is that the tower never needed him to save the tower. He needed him to save himself. And the beams. And the beams. This stood out to me the second time because <clears throat> when Roland and Susanna get to the Crimson King's castle and they meet that shapeshifter, remember the shapeshifter even tells him, he says, you already saved the beams. That's all you needed to do. Right. Like, let the tower be the tower. And he's saying that as a way to, like, you know, not let to help the Crimson King keep the tower. But in a way, he's right. Like, Roland saved the beams in Seven before getting to the tower. The only thing that's bringing Roland to the tower at that point is his own addiction to this idea of destiny he has, where it's like, like, I have to get there because it's my destiny, and I've already sacrificed so much, so I gotta see through it, and that's the fatal flaw is and that's why it keeps pointing them back because it's like this wasn't the thing you were supposed to focus on in your life by letting Susanna go through the door he's dropping dropping Jake all over again yeah he's not realizing that it's the connection that he needs and not the final destination of the thing he was searching for yeah and um it's so in book seven really hints that like all the other members of the quartet, they all have these moments where they realize like, I feel the pull of the tower, but I know I'm not like, I'm not, something's telling me I'm not supposed to go there. And especially Suzanne, I remember she's wrestling like with like, if he asked me to go to the tower, like I want to, but like, I just don't think that's for me. And And Jake sacrifices himself because he realizes, you know, that it's it's more important for him to, like, save King than it is to get to the tower. And Susanna realizes it's more important to 
be reunited with Eddie and Jake than it is to get to the tower. And the only person who doesn't get that is Roland. Exactly. And I, I think, and I forgot about this moment when I was rereading it, but when he stands in front of that shut door that Susanna went through and starts crying, oh my God, that just like ripped my heart out. I was just like, you can yeah. tell part of him knows it was a mistake. Yep. And it's just brutal. Mm. But yeah. no, you're a hundred, you're a hundred percent right. Yep. So uh, yeah, yeah, do we want to dive into a little bit more about the ending and the and the themes and what it signifies? Um, I think so. Uh, there's just two other things I wanted to to mention, okay. which is that um, speaking of endings, I'll you know I think we can't talk about this without just mentioning that King has a habit of, uh, you know letting his villains be defeated too easily. Yeah. And, you know, that's never more present than in insomnia, actually. Uh, and in basically all of the Dark Tower, but especially like the last book, it really felt like, okay, oh, Man in Black's gone. Very oh, easily. yeah, that was so weird. <laughs> um. Oh, and so, okay, we're building. All right, so Mordred is going to be that. Oh, nope, he's that was pretty easy, too. <laughs> Okay, so yep. it's the Crimson King. And, oh, Erasers? Really? Got it. Okay. Yeah. It just underscores the whole thing of, like, it's about the journey, and it's not yeah. always about that. I, You know, I don't know if King just went, dang, I could have wrote two more books, but I said it was seven, so I got to wrap this up. Yeah. Uh, so there's that. And then the other thing is, like, I just wanted to mention that the whole fact that King himself is in the book gives more weight to this idea that like these things are really happening. It kind of makes you stand back and go, Oh wait, did that really happen? Is King like mm -hmm. some part of King revealing that like this, you know, this could have really happened. And it goes, you mentioned on writing earlier. And uh, in that book, King talks about his own writing style, about how he, he f considers himself an excavator. Yeah, of a story up that's bones, already yeah. there, right? Like the story's already there. He's just finding it word by word. And so that whole concept, reading it, knowing that about King, and then that becomes like a major plot point in the last three books of like, I'm just listening to the song of the turtle, man. Yeah. And I'm just writing down what I'm seeing. And he's like a gateway into, he's seeing a gateway into another world. And then, alluding to how these other authors did the same thing like frank l Baum or l frank Baum with the wizard of oz mm -hmm. or uh, what was the other one he mentions like somebody else he was like oh somebody must have been looking in i can't remember oh yeah i can't remember either um oh i think it was robert browning yeah who wrote the the poem that this is all based on and so uh, I don't know. I just wanted to say that I, going back to what I was saying earlier, all these little bits are talking, are just more commentary on stories and how real stories are. And uh, I forgot to mention that when I was talking about that earlier. So I just wanted to throw that in that like yeah. King is watching these events and just relaying them um, just as much as he is making it up. Yeah. What I love about his, because I was paying extra attention this time around to 
him writing himself into the story because when I first read it as a high schooler, that's the first time I'd ever encountered anything like that. So it just like blew my brain and I wasn't really thinking crit- uh, critically about it. I was like, wait, what? Stephen King's a character in the own story? Like, Whoa! you know, uh, but now I was like, OK, is this going to hold up now that I'm a little bit older? I've read more books. I've seen more movies. I engage with stories differently, more critically. And what I appreciated about it is it didn't really feel like an ego job because his inclusion, he's constantly criticizing himself. He paints himself in such a negative light in these books as a lazy bum, uh, which I thought makes up for the fact that he's writing himself into it because he could have went the M. Night Shyamalan route where it's like, oh, I'm the writer God, you know, like in Lady of the Water. But he really is like, no, I'm including myself because I did in real life push off writing these books and then I almost died. And the first thing I, well, I don't know about the first thing, but after he recovered, one of the first things he thought about was uh, this story could have ended and all my fans wouldn't have known. I gotta, I gotta write these and get these out of here. And so I think he retroactively is criticizing himself because he did wait a long time to write them. And he admits that there were times where he felt the story was too big for him and he put it off. And so I think he included himself in a way that didn't glorify him, but actually like honestly critiqued himself, which I think makes it better. And it, it is like life imitating art where in the novels, he's putting off the stories and in life he put off the stories. And it's almost like Roland came to him in a vision was like, Hey, you need to wrap this up and no more long walks on the side of the road. So I thought that was cool. Yeah, for sure. It wasn't just like this, like, oh, you know, I'm God. I'm the God of this universe. And he makes it clear in the novels. He's just, he's not gone. He's, he's just hearing the voice and he's just relaying it, which I thought was cool. Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know that I have much oh. more even to say about the themes because I feel like we've been kind of weaving that through as we went. Yeah. Do you have like any final thoughts in, in regards to that? I think just the the sum it up, and I, I don't think we've given our like general impressions of like, uh, like if we liked the ending or how it wrapped up. But I, I remember when I first read the book, you told me to stop <clears throat> right before the final coda where it's revealed, and like you talked me through it, like, and encouraged me to read it, which I think I would have read it no matter what, but. Um, I, the second time around, like the ending even more. And I do believe it's the only ending. Like, I I can't imagine it ending any other way. Because it hits on the idea of, like, this Sisyphean journey that Roland has, where he's kind of Sisyphus, always pushing this rock up the hill. And uh, he's doing this. But what makes it even more tragic is he's doing it to himself. Um, and how it's always been there. The whole series, King is always saying, cause a wheel, cause a wheel. And so, of course, the story would end right where it started. And uh, as a story that's all about, in my opinion, not only addiction, but addiction to purpose, I read the book and the whole series as this idea of humans are so obsessed with the idea of like, finding ultimate purpose like almost like the clouds open up in the sky and a god says 
this is what you're meant to do. And we get so fixated on that, that we miss the people around us. You know what, you know what it reminds me of? Ad Astra. Mm. The journey in Ad Astra, I think, is the journey of Roland, where if you haven't seen the movie, um, you know, it's an astronaut has to go out into space and find his father um, to save him and to find these answers about extraterrestrials and life outside of the planet. And, you know, spoiler, it's been out for a couple of years now. There's nothing out there. And it's just a deadbeat dad. And he has to go back to Earth. And he actually reconnects with his wife. And it's almost the whole point is like, why go out there when everything he wants right here? And right. I feel like the Dark Tower is the same way. The Dark Tower is telling him, your search of purpose is actually making you miss your purpose. And... I think that's so true to anyone reading the books. Like for me, it's like, you know, sometimes I get upset about, oh, I work a day job, you know, nine to, you know, nine to sometimes 7.30, you know, uh, work long hours. When am I going to find my purpose? When am I going to hit it big creatively? Like that's not where it's at. It's right here with your loved ones and your family and your friends. Like don't get so obsessed with finding that achievement, accomplishment, purpose, because the true purpose starts right here with everyone that's already around you in your life and those connections. And I think that's what the dark tower series is getting at is, you know, it's, you go to the stars only for the stars to point you right back down to earth. Absolutely. And like uh, I said before, um, you know, it's all a human journey. And I think you can look at each character of the cotet they all have their own hang up or issue that they're, they struggle with. And I think they're all different facets of being a human. Like one of mm -hmm. them literally has a shadow side, you know, yep. and then we get to see, see those two things be integrated. Um, and we get to see each character, like in the same way that Ted Lasso is a character that can just through being themselves, heal the people around them and like let his positivity and like um just way of being in the world spread to them mm -hmm. and heal them and create a community i think that's what roland did but just like ted lasso they don't let that superpower if you will extend to themselves and yeah. you know I think that's a very similar thing to take away from from the Dark Tower as what I'm taking away from Ted Lasso, which is just that <clears throat> um, being human is tough. And we all have these different sides to ourselves. We have darkness. We have hangups. We have addictions. Um, we have insecurities. But the solution, like you said, is in relationship and not always in ambition. Ambition can only take you so far. Ambition can be great, mm -hmm. um, but it burns really hot. And if you don't have that support, and if you're not stopping to smell the roses, see what I Ooh, did there? Ooh, there you go. Uh, listen to the song of the rose, then you're yeah. missing out. Yeah. Um, I think, okay, here's just a random thing. Um, I think that building in the Dark Tower is real. Like in, in New York, that uh where the uh, tech corporation takes over i think that's mm -hmm. a real building interesting so i'm a very visual reader so um i sometimes get stuck 
if I can't fully picture what's being depicted. So I'm the type of person that like has to have like actors in mind when I'm reading or like a clear picture of the geography setting. So like when he was in New York, I was Googling if that was a real place. And I think that's a real tower. So anyway, I mentioned that just be like, that'd be cool to like walk by that tower and see if you can hear the song of the roses or something. Yeah. But speaking of that, I think real quick before we wrap up, uh, since it is in sort of development with uh, Mike Flanagan, maybe we could talk about what our hopes for the series would be and also some <clears> casting. <throat> because I know we've talked about casting and we have very different ideas. And I would like to get my my ideas out there, see if anyone agrees with me. So go for it. Are you uh, do, one? Do you think Flanagan's adaptation will actually happen? I think it will. I think it will. I think it's going to take some time, but I'm hoping it'll it will. take time. But I think it will. Yeah. Do you yeah. know he's he's uh, he's working on um, the life of Chuck from that? If it yes. bleeds, yes, that's cool. That's gonna that's be cool. cool. But I I think his approach to making it a one like he's not gonna try and be fancy with you know where you start like oh start it with the flashbacks and move forward or you know skip book one like i think he's been very clear like it's gonna be a straight adaptation of books one through seven but it's gonna be in that um long form tv format instead of like movie adaptations and i think that's the way to go i don't think I don't think you can tell this in a like trilogy movie setting. Nope. Like, like that, uh, that first attempt we maybe don't have to talk about, but, uh, though rereading this because when I watched the 2017 movie, it had been so long since I'd been in that world. I was kind of like, I knew they, they took pieces from all the books and crammed them into that one movie. But now that I've reread it, I'm like, Oh wow. They really did grab a bunch of random stuff from even late in the series and throw it into the first movie, which I thought was really weird in hindsight. Did you notice that? I, I, uh, sorry, I'm in a call. Oh, uh, I've never seen it. Oh, you never re- watched it. I refuse to. I think you should, I think you should watch it just like, just kind of to get a sense of like, I don't know. I think it's worth watching just to see, it's kind of like uh, sometimes it's good to see someone do something wrong so you can see how to do it better. Mm-hmm. And I think watching that movie will get you give you a sense of how the story should be adapted. Because, dude, like they threw in the Dixie pig in the first movie. Yeah, yeah. That's, and that's they had crazy. the they had the Tahine and vampires in it. And when you reread the series, you're like, whoa, whoa, what? And the way, and so basically how Jake gets there in in the movie is a really poor version of how he gets there in book three. I see. So the whole like dying and then waking up um, at the uh, way station. Nope, he goes through the house. But he goes through the house in like a sci-fi way where it's like a, it's like a portal instead of like a magical. It's crazy, but it's interesting to see how they just pulled stuff from like book five and six and seven and threw it into the first movie. But uh, anyway, before we go, my, my dark horse casting for Roland, which I think would work. It's not going to happen, but I think Ben Affleck would be a great Roland. And no, here's that's, why it's terrible. 
Here's why. Here's why. I think one, he's got the physical stature. He's like a big imposing guy. He can be, he's a good looking guy, but he can be like good looking in like a kind of scruffy way. Like Roland is in the books. And Ben Affleck has those eyes where when you look at him, you're like, this guy has seen some stuff. (laughs) And Ben Affleck is an open, like he's, he's struggled with addiction. And I think anyone who plays Roland doesn't necessarily have to have been an addict, but has to be able to play an addict. And like, I think you look at Ben Affleck, uh, like those sad Ben Affleck memes. And you see like a guy who looks like he's been walking through a desert sometimes for like a thousand years. And I think he'd be great. I think he'd be great. But if Dan, if you have a better casting, I'd like to hear it. I mean, I'm open to it if, you know, I see it and it works, but not a fan of that. I I would select Pedro Pascal. I get that too, but he's played this type so many times. Like, it's like, how many times can you play this? Like, he's done The Mandalorian. He's done The Last of Us. It's like, he's a... He's been walking around in track record. Yeah, he's been walking around in a post-apocalyptic environment with a little buddy a lot recently. So I mean he could do it, but yeah, Yeah. I think it'd be cool. That's my pick. I gotta go. All right. This has been really great. Thank you. Thanks for joining me on this conversation. Uh maybe we'll meet up ten years from now when we do a third trip around around the tower it's a date all right do it well everyone if you're listening on the podcast or if you're watching on video thank you for tuning in let us know what your favorite book in the series was and uh if we never meet in this life maybe we will meet in the clearing at the end of the path yes 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 see ya see ya